Have either of you ever had acupuncture before? I've had Reiki. I don't know what that is. I'm just kidding. I've never had Reiki. Reiki is the one where they don't touch you. They just move their hands near you. I've, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't done it. I'm Wait, a liar. So it's, they wave at you? Like Yeah, but near you. You know, they move their hands in a healing way close to your body. Uh, I've never. No, I've never had acupuncture and I don't want to. Yeah, no, me neither. I uh, wish I had like an interesting answer and I could relate like an exciting story, but no, never done it. And the, the idea really terrifies me. I gotta be honest. Um, I'd love to know, you know, if it works, you know, the people who do it swear by it. You know, I've had punctures. Whole... Yeah, I've, I've punctured myself by accident, you know, in, in acupuncture, you know, <laughs> I got a dart thrown into my leg one time. Really? Oh. Yeah. Like at a bar or like at a party or what it was high school, school. It was just, high school. yeah it was oh. just at a no it, no he hit exactly where he they was meant to hit you <laughs> yeah oh, yeah God. just threw it right into my shin jesus because that's like one of my worst nightmares when there's darts at a bar <laughs> <laughs> yeah like a drunk guy it's scarier when it's drunk guys I, which well, this might less. have been actually uh, i don't know but yeah exactly it's not scary when your friend's like i'm gonna hit you in the leg with a dart uh maybe it could have been but in, <laughs> you know it's it high school you know at least with a drunk guy at a bar there's some deniability like oh no they didn't do that intentionally sure sure i don't know <laughs> no i'm terrified of needles though i've never done acupuncture uh-uh. no i couldn't do it um i don't like needles they terrify what about, me. Do you do you, do you donate blood? No. Uh even at blood draws. I'm like yeah. sweating and they're all like I have to I'm I'm someone who when I go to the doctor, they have to do my blood pressure twice because when I get there I'm like, <laughs> is there going to be blood involved? Like I don't care about blood. Like I could actually just grab a knife and like cut my hand and just be totally fine. It that doesn't phase me at all. But as soon as it's a needle, it's like Oh no, I just start sweating and they're like, okay, calm down. It's fine. You're going to survive. And it's like, I know it's just the thought. Um, yeah, I went to the doctor a while ago and they're like, you need to go get a blood draw, but you have to schedule an appointment on your own time. So I just kind of walked out of the room and never scheduled Put it. it off. I hope I'm fine. <laughs> I hope so too. Oh, well. Welcome once more to Split Picks. We're reporting again from the Split Tooth Compound, and it is a lovely day to be in a dungeon. Today, we are embarking on the final episode of our series on Japanese horror. So far, we have covered Takashi Shimizu's Juon The Grudge, plus its American remakes, and that was with the two of you, plus Frankie. Then, we spent some time with Kiyoshi Kurosawa and some of his famous ghosts and hypnotists. Today, though, we're focusing on a filmmaker who is known for his extremes. But first, for today, I'll be Craig Wright, and with me are two people who purport to be Bennett Glaze and Jim Hickox. How are you two doing today? I'm a little sweaty, but I'm okay. A little sweaty? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Is that the talk of needles getting you a little hot A little bit, collar? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. We'll, uh, we'll do what we can to cool you off. <laughs> Maybe. I, plus, this, plus this bed of coals you have me strapped to. But Hey, you know what we're talking about today, okay? It's, it's <laughs> method acting. Yeah, yeah. Gotta get, gotta get in the right headspace. <laughs> You've got your seltzer to cool you down. Just lean into that, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Bennett, how are you doing today? 
uh you know despite that uh spooky chill in the air i'm actually a little sweaty myself we're at the, the sort of I am too spot. <laughs> we're at the spot when i when i jumped on the call initially i don't know if you noticed i was like fanning myself with a folded up piece of paper we're at the point like temperature wise where i feel really wasteful to have the ac on and if i open the window in this room my cat will try to jump out and there's no screen so i'm a little i'm a little worried about that so i'm relying on a kind of manual uh cooling at the moment but uh yeah you know excited to uh to talk some japanese uh it's japanese horror excited to talk about takashi Mike, um a guy who i feel like his uh his reputation has like preceded him throughout my entire life i feel like he's been uh kind of one of the one of the uh extreme uh filmmakers i think you mentioned known for his extremes for for as long as i can remember uh certainly one of the films we're we're talking about i feel like has been one of those you know it's always infamous always on the list of like most fucked up movies (laughs) most too disturbing to watch twice one of those uh one of those sort of movies yeah he's one of the few filmmakers that actually made me feel like gross after a movie <laughs> i don't know ben i think you have seen it but his masters of horror oh yeah imprint, it's pretty grim it's called yeah it was like the only one they did not show in america because it was too gruesome but it's like oh my god like oh there are like things going under fingernails like hooks through <laughs> jaws and like oh my god that's like not even in the top five of grossest things in that episode but yeah when he wants to be extreme he is extreme <laughs> no it's it's a it's a shame they didn't air it because it's probably that series is a guilty pleasure but that might be the i think it's by far the best episode of masters of horror i've seen just from a from a directing standpoint uh certainly from a visual standpoint it's the least uh televisual looking of them it really looks like it was directed yeah it's uh it's it's certainly something <laughs> So today we're going to be looking at two films from Takashi Miike, and I like this matchup for many reasons. We, again, as we did last week with Kyoshi Kurosawa, we're kind of looking at his masterpiece and then a later one where he kind of returns to his old ways, I think is a a fair first way of saying it. Jim, you want to give us a quick intro into the movie you'll be talking about today? Sure. I mean, I'm going to talk about it's 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 the easy answer when someone asks about a Takashi Miike movie. It is audition. Uh, I, I feel like if people know two Takashi Miike movies, they're this one and Ichi the Killer. Yeah. Uh, and I'm never going to say that I enjoyed Ichi the Killer. <laughs> Same. Not because I did it and I'm ashamed because I didn't. I didn't like it. This was, I think, the first Miike movie I ever saw, which was interesting. I watched it when I was a young, young man. And decided, at, sort of as you said earlier, Ben, I decided I never needed to watch it ever again. Uh, I was glad I watched it. That, like, kitty, 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 has echoed in my memory for the last 20 years. <sighs> yeah. So scary. Rewatching it was super fascinating, though, because now I've seen, I don't know, 20, 25 of his, of his limitless movies. Um, and there's a bunch of stuff in it that I don't think I, that, that is sort of like Hallmark Miike that I never would have picked up on. The first time because because the elements that grab you grab you so hard um there's a lot of stuff in it that's like kind of weird in a different way than most of the movie is weird that i never that i don't anyway it's it's i am happy i rewatched it i even though i decided a long time ago never to uh i'm very glad that i did revisit it well bennett you picked a later movie that um we'll just say the word controversy is uh, heavy around it. Um, why don't you give us a quick intro into the movie you picked and a bit about why you picked this one? Yeah, sure. So I um, I wanted to take you know a similar approach uh, to the one I took in the Kiyoshi Kurosawa episode. I wanted to pair kind of a heavy hitter, one that you're, uh, you know, if you're likely to have heard of any film from the director, you'll have heard of it with, you know, a lesser known one, um, perhaps a lesser loved one. 
And uh, so I went to Letterboxd and I, I went to horror uh, under Mikkei's films. And I, I looked around and I watched uh, just about everything uh, they had to offer. Ichi the Killer is actually one of the ones I, I haven't seen. Um, it's good to know I, I should avoid it. And, you have uh, to see it once. Yeah, Lesson of the Evil, it stuck out to me because it's um, it, it's uh, Mikkei's kind of uh, distinctly upsetting and distinctly extreme take on sort of a, a stock type of horror film the uh, kind of charming killer hiding in plain sight horror film. And um, I don't love the movie, but I like <laughs> it more than a lot of movies that do. It, it does a lot of things that usually, for me, I'm instantly out on a movie. Um, you know, it focuses on a killer who doesn't really face any real obstacles, who is just sort of like a Terminator kind of killing machine throughout the movie. And that, for me, in movies and television, tends to be pretty pretty uninteresting. It is, however, in, in the way it's kind of narrative threads come together, ultimately pretty pretty unusual. Um, I particularly enjoy the flashback uh, segment that we'll talk about. I would love to get a job like the American actor in this movie and just really, really um, <laughs> just kind of flatly deliver lines in, in unaccented English. Um, but yeah, I, um, I, you know, I thought it would be... It's an interesting one to pair with Audition, too, because, you know, Audition is... Um, it's kind of a film that's like a sequel to itself, right? It's like kind of like two incredibly different films kind of mashed together. Or, you know, it, it, it's known for a sudden like tonal shift. And if you don't know it's coming, it can be real uh, whiplash. And then this is a movie that's kind of like two movies existing side by side and like overlapping throughout. So uh, kind of a different way of talking about the tonal mashups that are, that are uh, endemic to his uh, filmography. I did note one of the things that I wrote down is that I feel like these two movies are exactly the same shape. I was just going to say, now that you a lot of his movies aren't, but these two, uh, these two are like really, really very similar in their construction. Yeah. So Takashi Miike is an important figure in Japanese horror films for, or Japanese film really, uh, for many reasons. But the number one thing that comes up with him is extreme violence. But beyond just blood and truly incomparable gore. What are some things that stand out to you about Takashi Miike's style? Because I think it's important to kind of get our bearings on why he's important more than just like he makes blood run, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I would say, you know, I I alluded to sort of the uh, the tonal shifts. Uh, There's a real kind of irreverent, kind of wacky sense of uh, comedy to even the most um, kind of visceral uh, scenes in his films. Stuff like Visitor Q really kind of throughout is juxtaposing kind of horror and comedy uh, throughout. It's it's almost uh, and I'll, I'll get this one in early. Almost Lynchian in the sense that it's uh, it's never totally comedic or totally horrific. Uh, certain of his films, uh, that's the case. I would say, uh, you know, even something like Audition that that goes to pretty uh, horrific right. like heights. There's always a weird, disarming sort of not quite surreal, but just an off quality to to the proceedings. I, he also, I mean, I think part of what makes him important, at least to my brain, but I think culturally what I, a thing that helps is that he has made, what, 120 movies or something in the last something 30 like years, right? He's making yeah. like four-ish movies a year, which for me is just exciting to know that someone, I like that's super aspirational, you know? I wish somebody would, would allow me to make four movies a year. Yeah. But I don't know, not a lot of people are working at that speed. So even though, I don't know, how many of those movies are actually good, I might give a bigger number than than one of you necessarily, but I, 20%, maybe generously. But the fact that he's sort of so efficiently creating so much, I think, is is helpful 
uh, in terms of making him sort of a, I don't know, unknown force of, of industry. Right. And he began with like, you know, low budget films. He did a lot of, you know, Yakuza gangster films and he's done everything. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't know if there's a genre he really hasn't covered. You, Jim, you may know more than me, but he's well-rounded and yeah, he's always going to make a movie that looks good. And it's, there's always going to be something interesting in there. Yeah, I think that's part of it also, right, is that he does, because he works so fast and so low budget, typically, he definitely has a good sense of how to instill uh, some kind of flair into things. He also, here's the thing that I, we can, I've probably talked about this times in the past. Uh, the, the big thing that's bad about bad movies is that they're boring. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mikkei's pretty good most of the time at avoiding that. Uh, He's pretty good at taking whatever it is that he's filming and just throwing some stuff into it. So when you're watching it, you're like, oh, there's some stuff. That's Yeah, that's interesting. Because I feel like the ones of his that I haven't liked have been strictly based on the content and not like it's Mm. presented in a boring way. It's more just like, wow, did I need to see 37 people just have their guts spilled like that? (laughs) You know, (laughs) I don't know. I'm sure each of the killers is going to come up, but that's a movie that we all kind of said like see it once um you know i know a lot of people have said like i saw that movie in high school it made me think a lot of things don't know if i ever want to see it again <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think it is important to say real fast um we don't normally do content warnings but this is a podcast that covers horror films so i think it you can kind of expect there's going to be some graphic stuff but the second movie especially if you are someone who isn't comfortable with you know graphic gore especially involving school shootings this might not be the podcast for you and if that's the case no worries we'll see you soon we'll see Um, you next time yeah we'll we'll be back it won't be hopefully nine months this time like last time (laughs) sorry (laughs) um but yeah takaji Mike is often described as an acquired taste you know he's a polarizing figure Given what you've seen of his films, what's your general take on him as a director, and how do you feel about the acquired taste label? Uh, isn't every taste acquired? I don't know. <laughs> That's a fair answer. <laughs> um, I, I would say some of his uh, checkered reputation is definitely deserved. I mean, I haven't, I haven't loved everything that I've seen, and um, I don't know. I mean, I, I had kind of in my mind, I'd kind of um, I boxed him in as sort of like an edgelord, maybe like a, a shock for the sake, of, the sake of shock sort of a guy. And I don't know that he's really beaten those allegations with me over the last few weeks. Um, I would say he definitely does it better than a lot of what I imagine are like his imitators. Of like what uh, most, He's better than most directors of like horror comedy, I think. I don't know, at, at the very least by virtue of the fact that he really kind of goes for it when it comes to being willing to be upsetting or being willing to be like truly absurd uh, with the comedy. You know, something like Happiness of the Categories, like I, I really like... That's a great All one. sorts of movies are described as being surprising or like, wow, you'll never, you'll never imagine what happens in this one. Truly a movie where I was, you know, from beginning to end, like, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> uh, which, you know, I, I don't know, I feel like with a lot of directors who get lumped into that same kind of edgelord box they have kind of one thing they do over and over again i don't know like michael haneke for me is like a guy who like has like one trick and like i've seen it and you know he's gonna do it again and again uh mike even if 
you know what to expect as far as the tonal soup and the the just the fact that it's going to get extreme. I feel like he's he's managed to surprise me across the uh, eleven or twelve films that I've that I've seen now, which again I recognize is ten percent of his filmography, yeah. um, including none of the the Yakuza films, which I guess are kind of where he where he cut his teeth. I was surprised that uh, Audition seems to have really been like his first horror movie. I think it is. Uh, yeah. Or he certainly didn't have a reputation for horror going in. Sounds yeah, I think he was he was mostly a gangster movie guy at the time, right? And then they just pulled him in. So let's let's pivot into audition because we <laughs> a lot happens in this movie. We got a lot to talk about. So, <laughs> Jim, why don't you just give us a quick run through of the basic premise of audition? Sure. Uh, the basic premise is a sad middle aged man whose wife died several years ago is urged by his son to get remarried, uh, and it's just like, yeah, you know what, I will. And so he confides in his friend, who's a filmmaker, that he wants to get remarried. And his friend's like, oh, we'll, we'll just hold an audition. Uh, you just list whatever you want in a, as a wife, as the qualities of the main character. And then we'll uh, we'll have an audition and we'll, you know, we'll actually make a movie. This guy, like, makes a radio show and is, like, pitching people to make a movie. It makes Japan seem like a great place to be making media. <laughs> But he, like, gets these things off the ground to hold an audition, and then uh, the guy finds a woman that he thinks is perfect for him, and they hit it off really well, and they go on some dates, and she she sort of insists that he love her and only her, and then at some point finds out that he has a dog and a son and an ex-wife, uh, and is not happy about that, and so she uses drugs to paralyze him and torture him. <laughs> And then the movie ends. I'm doing, I'm, I'm giving, I'm a little bit uh, doing it a disservice by telling it to you in the way that I would tell a story because this, this sort of goes with what Bennett just said about consistent surprise. Both of these movies, and I think a decent amount of Miike's movies, he seems very unconcerned with, uh, with revealing things to you at the end, right? It's not, I feel like a lot of filmmakers are like, you're never going to know what's happening. And then there's a big twist. Uh, and Miike doesn't, he just he just doesn't do that. You know from maybe minute thirty that she that the young woman in this movie has a man in a bag in her apartment, uh, and you know that everyone she's talked to in the last several years is dead. Uh, so it's he doesn't he doesn't really withhold information from you. Uh, he kind of lets you know what's going on, but but still I think manages to consistently throw you off guard with what's coming next, which I think is a remarkable feat. Yeah, and he uses Beat. those. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he uses those red flags in the movie very well. As like, okay, yeah. maybe you should look into this, but then it's. Uh, nah. Yeah. Also, also every other character who the main character talks to is like, I don't know about this lady. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, but I love her. Yeah, this movie really has brilliant characters in it because you know we we have a pretty good sense of who Shigaharu is, but then Asami is just kind of like this angel who appears for him and then it's just like step by step that angelic image is kind of removed and i mean the big the big thing that people talk about right is that and bennett sort of alluded to this earlier but that for two-thirds of the movie except for these like interludes of of sort of insanity most of the first two-thirds of the movie is could almost be a really sleazy romantic comedy it it is paced and set up in a way that that is sort of uh, serene almost, and then it's not until the last 
it's not even in my brain. It's like 45 minutes. But in the movie, I think it was maybe 15. The last 15 ish minutes is this really brutal torture scene uh, where she sticks needles into him uh, and then cuts one of his feet off. She tries to cut both of his feet off, but she's interrupted. Uh, But yeah, she like kills his dog and then starts torturing him. The rest of the story leads up to it in an elegant way, but it does feel like you're like, oh, the tone of this movie has just shifted drastically. We, we have the whole first third before we even really get any of those those red flags. It's kind yeah. of in that second third that they kind of uh, get to be sewn in. So like you said, yeah, it's it's played like uh, like an intermittently sleazy kind of romantic comedy. And I like one of the things I like about it is if you ha- if you know like the basics of the plot going in, there is yeah. you know any number of fake outs in the audition sequence because that goes on for a sure. long time. They talk to a lot of women, and if you just know oh one of them is going to turn out to be you know like a murderer. Yeah. You can you can spend a while kind of like looking for like hints in the conversations and stuff. That's funny. You know? Yeah. So how do you feel about Shigaharu as the main character? I mean, are we supposed to assume he's a bad dude for taking advantage of women, or do you feel yes. he's more of a desperate person to trying some sense of peace in his life after tragedy? Both. He's both of those. Okay. Well, both. I mean, I, I think I like that. You know, true to his his kind of melding of, of tones and genres, Mike kind of has it both ways. He shows us, yeah. you know, at his wife's like deathbed to start out, and you know, it's it's his son who like encourages him to get back out there, not like his sleazy friend. And it's so a sleazy it's... friend who comes up with the idea to audition women. And he, at the beginning of the, the audition, his friends like, "Yeah, are you nervous?" And he's like, "I feel like a murderer." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he kind of acknowledges how creepy it is. So. Yeah. yeah. Because they're like manufacturing a Weinstein scenario, which is oh yeah, yeah, not great. But I, I don't know. Like he lets it, he lets it start out like sweet before it becomes instantly sure. like a casting couch situation. And it very much is. He doesn't shy away from that either. Like one of the women gets like topless in the in the audition, and again, like that's handled like pretty quickly. We see a super brief shot of a woman starting to pull down her underwear. So we have to, your mind can run wild then with like what the rest of these auditions have been yeah. like. Yeah, and he like asks yeah. women, he's like, uh, would you be comfortable going into sex work? Would you do sex scenes? He's like asking them a lot of uh, pretty invasive questions. The friend, the friend is doing all this. Right. I think that is interesting though, because like I do see a lot of people saying like, oh, it's this, you know, toxic movie, but it's like. Well, Mikke, the characters are toxic. Right. But it's like Mike does allow, a. I don't know. It's just an interesting way that he handles it. I think he knows that they're being terrible right i think the movie knows and i think uh i think uh shigaru knows so once they meet they they hit it off pretty quickly you know they as i saw an interview where mike said yes love leads to misery just boom you know (laughs) um but what can you tell me about how their relationship unfolds and kind of how they change throughout the film because they both undergo a pretty uh, severe metamorphosis in this well, she's sort of she's sort of secretive, and uh, dramatic irony lies in the fact that like we, you know, knowing that this is a horror movie, know that that's probably a bad sign. Even before we've seen the guy in the bag, I think she tells him not to follow up on on references from her job. You know, talks about kind of a uh, an abusive, kind of sordid childhood, um, but is again, I think, non-specific enough to discourage him from sort of digging deeper. Well, he's also kind of choosing not to, right? His friend tries to dig. And is like, I'm finding things that scare me. I don't think you should pursue this. And he's actively choosing to ignore that advice. Well, that's a way of characterizing him, too. Right. He's, you know, he's so certain that he's found the perfect woman and the perfect replacement for his wife. And it's from incredibly kind of surface level detail and from like a quick conversation. And I think that's supposed to characterize him as somebody who... 
don't know, maybe isn't looking for commitment so much as like a, a quick answer to like get his son off his back and, you know, have a woman in his life again. And it does, he, he, the first thing that he like is, is just, just in his defense, it's not like he sees her and she's the most beautiful woman and he's like, I have to have, right? The first thing that really attracts him to her is an essay that she wrote about how living is, t- to be alive is to slowly creep towards death. Right, yeah. And he's, uh, and he's like, stopping that's... doing something, right? Yeah, she had to like stop playing the piano or something. Ballet, yeah. she did ballet. Oh, yeah. yeah, until she hurt her hip, she says. Although, we later find out that she also was like molested, assaulted by her uncle slash ballet teacher right because she was like a promising you know dance prospect and yeah i I do like how they unveil her background sure my favorite thing about how they do it is the first time we see her in her apartment when you know she says oh i was waiting for your call um do one of you maybe want to just describe her apartment because that is one of my favorite (laughs) moments of characterization <laughs> horror i guess this is what i what i mean because this is like maybe 20 25 minutes and we don't know there's a guy in the bag until the phone rings which is another 10 or 15 minutes later but the first time we see it it's clear there's something off right yes. where it's just a totally empty apartment except for a giant burlap sack and a telephone on the floor and we see her in it two or three times and every time she's just sitting slumped against a wall with her head down and her hair like ring style draped over her face just sitting absolutely motionless waiting for the phone to ring like she's been shut down until the phone rings it is very off-putting when the bag moves i loved watching this i had a friend come over and you know, the bag <laughs> moved and he actually was like oh my god <laughs> jumped out of his chair i was like what is that <laughs> it's um yeah no and i i, I had a very different relationship i guess uh jim to this movie than than you did i uh, i think i talked about this last year when we talked about black christmas there was this bravo list of like the hundred scariest <laughs> movie moments and audition was on there specifically the the guy in the bag moving and then the oh. torture sequence at the end it was probably like in the top like 20 it was definitely like the highest rated japanese film and um i put up watching it for for years i was like both because i was like i really don't want to watch a guy getting like needles stuck in him and getting his foot cut yeah. off with like a wire not for me and also because i figured like well if i know that's coming then what is what is the movie and i would say to to Mike's immense credit, I think even when I knew the twists and the the that jump scare, the guy moving in the bag, I knew all of this was coming. I still found it incredibly affecting. Um, and in the time since, I've seen God knows how many movies about not God knows how many movies the that involve in people. <laughs> no, that involve well, not just the, the bag thing. That involve people getting like limbs cut off sure, or getting sure. tortured in, in some respect. And I got to say, this is still one of the most like uh squirm inducing of, yeah. of the sort of torture sequences i i haven't gone through all the saws as you have but yeah, i've done yeah. i've done <laughs> one saw seen all 10 saws <laughs> <laughs> i've done one saw and one hostile and i don't know some other stuff i'm sure where people get limbs cut off and i don't know there's like a camp to most of those movies that despite this movie has a bunch of uh, as i say hallmark mike camp weirdness sprinkled across it just little touches but it's still most of the movie is so grounded that when she's even just putting uh those uh the acupuncture needles into his belly which is what an acupuncturist does uh so presumably it shouldn't be that upsetting it's so upsetting uh and then when she when she cut his i almost i almost can't watch when she's cutting his foot off terrible 
Yeah, and I, I don't know, like, it, it, his weird, like, touches. In a lot of other movies, that would be disarming to the point that, like, it doesn't become... It, it ceases to be affecting. Or they would sure. underlie it. They do this in the Saw movies a lot. They'll underlie it with a lot of, like, like riffs <laughs> that just sort of, like, they take you out of the, the sequence. But, I don't know, really just watching her going with that that, that wire and the, the her sort of cooing the word deeper as she pushes the, the needles in. in. Incredibly creepy and just... Yeah. I don't know, the sort of odd touch that a lot of filmmakers go for and, and with badly. Yeah. Like a lot of people think they're doing that or think they're doing the, the Reservoir Dogs <laughs> thing. And they're, you yeah. know, by, by using like ironic not. music cues. And we'll talk about that in the next <laughs> film. I think the next <laughs> film is one where it really oh, he, yeah. he fails in, in, in ironizing <laughs> violence. Um, Jim, I find it interesting that you said you couldn't really watch when the foot's being cut off because I wanted to open this episode with needles because this is like the only needle scene I can like, watch because it's oh, really? so well done it's like it's uh, basically this asmr scene where she's like oh, i'm i'm hurting you i'm hurting you yeah um but like i can't look away during that movie like I, my weird thing is when i see needles in a movie like i i can't do movies where people shoot up heroin because i'm just like oh my god uh, no no needles bad needles <laughs> also uh, craig also heroin is bad also for the <laughs> listeners just putting it out there for the kids kids on the other end drugs are bad jim but needles needles visually <laughs> are scarier <laughs> but no i mean i i just had this weird thing where my left achilles tendon like goes numb when i see needles on screen and i just like can't move but this one was just like i cannot look away like where is this going oh man but also she sticks them in and then she leans onto them yeah oh so oh, awful yeah <laughs> It's it's such a well constructed sequence because you yeah. really like she tells yeah she tells him like what's gonna happen and then does it and it like I don't know you, you yeah. can like anticipate the whole thing and you're just seeing enough too it's not like just mm-hmm. watching like needles going in or just watching him react well yeah really, a lot like, of it is close on her constructed. face yeah you're like his view I guess of her sticking needles into it under his eye yeah mm. very upsetting. <laughs> Uh, I, I will say Saw 10, sorry to spoil Saw 10 listeners, features a, a trap where someone has to sever a limb with one of those those wires that people use to cut huh. clay. Yeah, very, very upsetting uh, in Saw 10 as well. I'm glad you've seen it. Okay. Uh, because I think that I think that whole genre of like people being slowly dissected largely starts after this, right? I think this is... Anyway, yeah, yeah, I'm sure that they... I'm sure the Saw people had seen this and were like, well, we can't get too close to it, right? And like Eli Roth and Hostel for sure yeah, talks yeah. about the influence oh. of this. I think Mike sure. shows up in one of the Hostel movies. Does I think he? might have like a cameo as one of the. Don't quote me on that, but I think he's like one of the guys you see as like a guy who's like a killer at the Hostel place. I bet he wouldn't be an expensive cameo. I bet he's like a plane flight in a hotel and a few hundred bucks. <laughs> I just want to briefly. I've mentioned a couple of times the sort of like hallmark Mike bits that we see, which I just want to call out a couple of them, which are at one point we learn that uh that at a murder scene th- from asami earlier there was they found a dismembered body and there were three extra fingers and an extra what ear and an extra tongue tongue yeah uh-huh. which is such a delightful story <laughs> uh, but then we see presumably in in uh shigaharu's imagination we see them all and the tongues just lying on the floor flopping like a dead fish uh which is you know it's like it's weirder than most of the rest of the movie also the uh he at one point finds the former abusive i think he's an uncle right slash or stepfather he's some kind of connection uh and and her former ballet teacher and he's wearing someone else's feet on his feet 
We just see that he has dead sewn up feet on the bottom of his legs. Aren't they wooden uh, planks? Because he like lifts them. I think there's planks on the bottom of them. Okay. Oh, maybe that's what's holding them on. Maybe there's little like stilts under them. That I saw that there are planks underneath. I could be wrong. Oh, yeah, both of those sequences, both of those like investigative sequences, I was struck how much they look like uh, spontaneous combustion. The Dutch angles, <laughs> oh, the sort yeah. of, like blue and yellow lighting. Yeah, they do get weird. I don't know. Maybe he's a fan. We know Kuros- we know Kiyoshi Kurosawa is a big fan. Maybe uh, maybe Takashi Miki is a fan of spontaneous combustion as well. Yeah. They I, they should be if they're not. <laughs> as anyone who's seen any movie should be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the torture scene is the most famous, but I think yeah. my favorite part of this movie is you know after they spend the night together for the first time you know she says you know you will love me and only me and yeah. then he has this like hallucination and yeah i will say the first time i saw this movie i honestly could not tell if that portion was five minutes or 40 <laughs> like i've never seen a film that seemingly bent time like that because there's just so much happens but nothing is like linear it's just like he's just finding all these things that are happening and it's just you know they keep showing like replaying scenes that have already happened but they're slightly yeah. different and then yeah, it's they're like, saying different lines but in the same space yeah and like you know they'll be in a restaurant and it's like everyone's there and then no one's yeah. there and then his dead wife is there and it's just like what is happening yeah. right now and, and, the, then, and then asami says something and it cuts to him and it cuts back to her and she's a child <laughs> yeah I mean, and, and then, then she's puking in a dog bowl in a space that he's never been, but he's standing there. Yeah, and then the man in the bag eats from that bowl. And, yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> like this is that Ben and I think this was the first Mikay movie I saw as well, and like that to me was like okay, no, no matter what else this guy has done, <laughs> this is a masterwork. You know, it's just like that movie is like if he if all of his other movies suck, he still got something. You know. <laughs> It is so bizarre because it starts off feeling like like things that could be happening, and then it just sort of slowly devolves into into things that are clearly impossible. And and it, but even within the context of the movie, like you know, it's in his head, but it includes elements that there's no way he could know. Yeah, it like continually becomes more off putting and confusing as it goes, and it does feel like it could be literally any amount of time. I still don't know how long this movie is. I assume it's around ninety minutes, right? I would guess. No, but it's like a, it's like an even two hours almost. It's like is it really? Yeah, See, I have no but, idea. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. I, it uh, it it gets that sort of hallucinatory, like dreamlike state, and the fact that like it could be a few minutes or like an hour better than yeah. better than most uh, quote unquote dreamlike sequences I've seen in films. And then when it finally ends, it's you know it's so upsetting to find him there on the floor. Um, I I mean I. Yeah. I think the the barfing in the dog bowl and the guy the gusto with which he laughs it up is one of yeah. the more like benign for a fairly benign image. Again, like I've seen people's eyeballs poked out. I've seen all sorts of crazy shit in movies. Someone puking in a bowl and eating it isn't that crazy, but oh, the fucking way he goes at it is so so alarming. And doesn't yeah. he say yummy too? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Although he doesn't have a tongue, he see, like, I don't remember how. It... He certainly looks grateful. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. And that I, one thing I'll say though, and. I don't like how when he notices the guy is like missing his fingers and like yeah. foot and tongue or whatever that it shows like the flashback. Oh, it's that guy. That was yeah. very like M Night Shyamalan third act. Yeah, like, he's a little uh, worried that, that, that you're that you're dumb. That you you forgot about that. Yeah. You forgot about this crazy thing that happened like 15 minutes ago. Yeah, <laughs> that this guy certainly wouldn't have forgotten and it's about. Such a specific list, you know, three fingers and ear and a tongue. You're like, yeah, no, I 
I know. <laughs> One, two, four. There they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he holds up his hand and super close up, and we see three fingers missing, and it's, you don't need to, we, we remember. <laughs> but I think, you know, so many people try to do the, like, you know, the fever dream sequence, mm. and I, I, like, I, I just think, like, you know, Rob Zombie camera shaking in your face <laughs> when I think of that. But this one, like, it's shot so just, like, everything is fairly stationary, you know, and it's just like, it's the things unfolding in front of the camera that are what are absolutely bonkers and not how it's shot. And I I really like how he does that. Yeah, because I think it's shot just the same as most of, like Ben pointed out earlier, right? The investigative sequences have a slightly different aesthetic to them Mm -hmm. than everything else. But the dream sequence just looks like most of the rest of the movie. It's just weird stuff happening. It's like wrong events being presented as though they were normal, which is not, I think, the usual way to approach that. No, I would say it uh, It reminds me of, uh, we, you know, we talked about how Kiyoshi Kurosawa will kind of, like, seed uh, supernatural stuff into, like, kind of benign settings and kind yeah. of, like, wait for you to spot the ghost. And, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like the just sort of straightforward transition from, like, increasingly surreal scenes. Yeah, because, again, you could see so many filmmakers going the wrong way with that and really kind of larding on the creepy effects. Um, and he, he knows he doesn't need to, he, you know, he trusts the, the content on screen to have the visceral impact. Yeah. Which is, you know, to be fair, a little out of character for him. Usually he's like, but also there should be a geyser of blood. I was gonna say like, certainly lesson <laughs> of evil takes the opposite approach. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that, yeah, that is something I wanted to bring up because the, there is pretty extreme violence in this movie, but it's not yes. presented as a, like, you know, you, as you said, like the blood geyser is erupting, yeah. you know, it's more just like. I, I think a big part of it is because the characters are so good together that once the torture is happening, it has just like that extra emotional closeness that, you know, when it's, you know, Ichi the killer, when it's, you know, Ichi goes in and kills like 40 people in a gang in 35 <laughs> seconds. And it's just like, it turns into an ice skating rink where there's like large yeah. intestines just sprawled out. And, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, like, yes, that's a thing that just happened. But like, I don't know. I, I think the violence in Audition is so much more effective because it's coming I, from a place of like, oh, oh, like this is pointed. And, yeah. Okay. And I mean, I could see a version of this, right, where Mike does <laughs> when she's sawing the leg, there's like a, a s- mist of blood jetting up into her face. Right. Uh, Which yeah. I think that that's kind of the the kind of thing he was doing first in his gangster movies. And then and then he sort of carried through his career as this sort of like cartoonishness to his violence. And the fact that he holds himself back from doing that in at least this part, right? Like a man wearing another man's dead feet and like a guy in a sack, right? Those impulses are there. Uh, but for the, the sort of this big torture scene at the end, he just, he's just lets it be sort of as close to what the world is like. If you're cutting a foot off, I assume as possible. Uh, and it's, and it is more upsetting for that. I think. Yeah. I think plenty of filmmakers have talked about, um, how it's so much more effective to have like a like a pain that's like relatable, you know, pain yeah, yeah. to and and that you know this this needle pricks as the kind of primary form of the torture is is pretty easy to uh, to relate to and pretty yeah. easy to imagine yourself in because again we both said you know we've we've accidentally been punctured or intentionally yeah. <laughs> been occasionally punctured by other people and it's uh, I don't know it's unpleasant and you can kind of. You can use your imagination and be like, oh, what if this was, you know, 10 times worse? What if this was... Yeah, uh, what if it was in my lower yeah. eye? Yeah. Right, what if it was... In, oh, God, that's the worst for me. <laughs> Eyelid trauma for me is where I have to where I have to tune out. We've mentioned that when most people think of 
Takashi Miike. This is probably the first film or maybe second that comes to mind. Um, but his reputation yes. still is like he's the violent guy. So yeah. I'm, I'm just curious how you feel this film affected his overall reputation as a director throughout his career because he got bloodier. Um, sure. <laughs> you know, he certainly did. But if this is the movie that people are pointing to saying like, this is the hyper violent director, like, do you feel that this is an accurate representation of his extremes? Yeah, nothing I've seen so far suggests to me that he doesn't deserve the reputation for, you know, extremity uh, in his in his content. And I would say this is like a good calling card movie. It's certainly the best of the ones I've seen. And it definitely has a lot of, you know, Jim, like you've said, a lot of what are his his hallmarks. I do think, though, that the that just the conversation, or as is often the case, the marketing and conversation around this film doesn't really do it or him any favors just in the sense that it really foregrounds the blanking on her name but the fact that she is in the apron on the poster for like the film any any imagery you'll see from the film is her in the Mm. apron with like the wire i feel like that does the film and mikay and the viewer who is potentially looking to go in cold uh, a disservice i think it's easy for the synopsis to just allude to you know a woman maybe not being what she seems without uh making it incredibly clear like yeah she kidnaps and tortures this guy so you know i i, I do think um it, it, it's not just given him a reputation for you know extreme violence it's maybe given people you know a pre-expectation that there's going to be uh something truly horrific something you know something mutilation related something torture related something really you know uh beyond the pale yeah. um so you know either you, you you kind of go in and you're you're waiting for that to happen that's your kind of like when do they get to the fireworks factory or, you know, people who are explicitly looking for that are, you know, especially keen on his films. And then, you know, people who, you know, for whom that's an instant turnoff might not give something like this a chance, which, again, you know, I, I think for its reputation as an especially disturbing film and for how visceral we find the torture sequence, it's really not all that goopy or, or gruesome uh, a film. Um, you know, I think a lot of people who think of themselves as not being horror people could find a lot to, to enjoy in the film. Yeah, you know, it's totally ultimately agree. pretty artfully constructed. The, the climax, yeah. the, the extended violent climax is, I don't know, there, there's much more going on there than I think in Lesson of the Evil, which uh, may sure. just be may <laughs> just be there to shock. Yeah, it's it's uh, the, the torture scene is hard to sit through, but it also it also is a relatively small part of the movie uh, time wise, uh, even though it's the only thing anyone talks about. You're right that I think it probably is disserviced by, and Miike generally maybe is a little disserviced by his reputation being ahead of him in the way that it is. Uh, I think, I don't know that this is true, but I think I've gone into every Miike movie I've seen fully uh, unaware of what was going to happen. Yeah. I I, I watched this one, I had no idea. It was like, you know, a year or two after it had come out, it was just like, here's a Japanese horror movie. Okay, let's go, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Because this came out sort of in the wake of of Ringu, uh, and so I think it was my same friends who had found that, found this, and brought it to me. And I think I watched this, and then I watched Ichi the Killer, and I think on the strength of this one, I still sort of continued to seek out Miike after after Ichi. The, here's my answer in terms of uh, Miike extremes, right, is that he is... He's known as an, an an extreme kind of fella, but I think there are two different ways that he sort of approaches that, and I think Audition is a really good example of of one, but I think it's the one that he exercises less. I think he is more often, when people are talking about the extreme 
uh, elements of Mike. They're talking about like Gozu, right? Where a guy like kicks a chihuahua into a glass window and then uh, and then an adult human is born out of the vagina of another adult human, right? It's It's the stuff where really like extreme weird or extreme, like I mentioned earlier, like explosions of blood, like cartoonish, overwhelming uh, things, I think is is what people generally mean when they talk about the extreme elements of Mike. Uh, and, and on that level, this movie doesn't really, as it, it's it, there's bits, but it doesn't really serve that up in the way that a lot of his movies do. As baroque as the killing gets, it doesn't go to any like aggressively wacky, yeah. any uh, any Reddit territory, <laughs> any what me, any what might be called Reddit territory. So, audition is the rare film that is kind of viewed or reviewed as both misogynistic and feminist. I find I found it interesting reading reviews from different time periods because when it came out, most people were like, "Well, yeah, it's like this, you know, misogynistic movie, but like she gets even in the end." But then more recently it's kind of taken a turn where it's like she's a feminist icon she's taken down the patriarchy and like i don't know if i'd go that far <laughs> it's like i, I i'm just I curious i wouldn't call it too overtly either of those things i don't think it's see i'm super i think the the character the main character is doing a very misogynistic thing uh and i think his friend is pretty overtly misogynistic i think that the characters are carrying misogyny with them and I think there are elements that are Japanese culture 1999 that I can't purport to fully understand. Um, a, a lot of things where like, like he's like, I'll introduce my son to this woman after I've proposed to her. Right. There's like, yeah. w- which feels insane to me, but like clearly makes sense to them. So surely there are other things that also I don't get, but it doesn't, it feels like they are doing a misogynistic thing, but he's doing it like quote unquote for the right reasons. Right. He's not trying to just sleep with all these audition girls. He's trying to find someone he loves and he thinks he does. So there is some misogyny you can point at, but I don't think it's like so deep that you can condemn the whole movie based on it. But also, she has no feminist motivation for anything <laughs> that she's doing as expressed, right? It's, uh, I mean, I don't know. If, if people want to claim her as an icon, then I, uh, good for them, you know? Uh, but I, I don't see her that way necessarily. She seems like she's more of just a serial killer. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think he definitely means for us to read, you know, see a lot of misogyny in the behavior of kind of the two main guys. And I, I, you know, I think the, I don't know, kind of Twilight Zone, Tales of the Crypt nature of this is that like he's, you know, it's it's come up and it's for his his misogyny. Sure. Um, I, yeah, I would agree with Jim. Yeah, I don't know. I think like calling her like a feminist icon is elite because like this, her... I don't know her, her rejection of like the patriarchy as evidenced by this guy is purely like uh individual right it's not uh yeah. there's not like any any kind of broader uh you know men do this in general uh messaging and yeah while i would say that like you know Mike means to set up this this whole situation as a way of uh you know giving our lead his comeuppance i do think as as, as is often the case uh, you know, because he kind of leaves it so ambiguous. I don't know. It, it's very easy to see misogynist watching this movie and seeing it as fully a movie about, you know, women being crazy. Right. Sure, I, sure. I, I think there's right. plenty of the kind of, you know, people who saw this on the list of like 50 most fucked up movies, watched it and then had that reading. A lot of people, honestly, probably not people as smart as you or I or you, Craig, yeah, don't any of us, I'm um, the dumb one here. or any of you <laughs> listeners. But a lot of people do probably watch the movie and go like, well, he didn't deserve this. Good Lord. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that. Uh, now that's why I asked because like a lot of the early reviews like people were saying like oh it's better to be single than dead. <laughs> yeah, but it's oh, like really? Yeah. Like so I don't yeah. Wow. 
I, I think it lands somewhere more in the middle, and I think it's more of an intentionally muddied answer because it's not supposed yeah. to be like she's an icon and he's an asshole. You know, it's more like he's trying to do something, maybe came at it the wrong way, and she goes too far. <laughs> like, yeah, off she's feet she overreacts a lot. She's like, you have a picture of your ex-wife, yeah. and therefore, right, you have loved someone else, which is like. I don't know, monogamy times 12 uh, in a way that is insane. Um, but also, just just to push back a little bit on this, because she's not ideologically driven, right? She is, she's being driven by, by individual humans not loving her enough, including one lover who was another woman, which sort of, I, th- I think, feels like at least a muddying of the idea of her having some kind of feminist ideology. Not that a feminist can't kill another woman. I don't want to put anyone in a box. <laughs> Just a burlap set. There we go. You can still breathe and have some nice soup, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's it's always interesting to see how reactions of films change over time because, you know, sure. especially with someone like Mike, where it is a lot of extreme things happening. <laughs> Just how culture has shifted since 1999, you know? Sure. <laughs> I was five when this movie came out, so it's like, yeah. Whatever. world's a little different now, but... um. <laughs> Yeah. I think we're probably good to take a quick little break here, um, unless either of you have any closing thoughts on Audition before we head on over to Lesson of the Evil. Anything standing out? Yeah, just meet your next partner in a library. <laughs> <laughs> but you're supposed to be quiet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you can whisper at each other. That's romantic. Okay, okay. I, you know, if, if you if you know this movie as just sort of um, as just sort of the poster as just sort of uh, you know the woman in a in a leather apron looking looking menacing, I'd say I'd say give it a shot because even if you you know if you know, if you know the story beats, even if you know where it's going, um, all the torture sequences that we've just described, <laughs> trust me, they are they are more upsetting when you see them than hearing us sort of uh, detail them. And That's it's true. just as shocking on repeat viewings too, like. Yeah, yeah. This, I, you never get used to seeing somebody get a shot in the tongue. Yeah, Ugh. yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, this movie does not lose its edge. It. Uh, all right, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be back to talk about Lesson of the Evil. Itai. <laughs> Much like Kiyoshi Kurosawa in the last episode, Takashi Miike is another director who says he is prolific simply for the reason that filmmaking in Japan is a job and money is nothing like it is in Hollywood. So he says you make films as a continuous career and as a source of income. As mentioned, he has directed well over 100 films. I checked last night, and IMDb says 115, or he's credited as director on it, maybe 116 by the time this comes out. (laughs) I think his style does demand viewers will not love everything he does. Um, Sure. So I'm just kind of curious before we get... His style and his range, right? Right, yeah. I mean, he's, like I said, he's done everything (laughs) so i'm just kind of curious before getting into lesson of the evil what are some of your favorites of his films that we've that we haven't maybe talked about yet and maybe what's your kind of you know your borders like what what are some you weren't quite sold on as well i was like pretty into him 15 years ago so i've watched a bunch of the sort of late 90s early 2000s fudo the the new generation uh was a big one for me for a minute uh gozu i really liked visitor q i really liked 
I actually just watched earlier this year, he made a Korean TV show called Connect that was I enjoyed. It was like not the kind of thing that I normally watch, but I still uh, I still enjoyed it. Okay. Uh, Happiness of the Katakaris. It's, it's hard because there are so many. I'm trying to like skim through them in my in my brain. Oh. Happiness of the Katakaris was is so genius. But um, the like claymation demon from uh, from uh, Happiness of the Katakaris, I, I like lost into another movie for a while and I, I had to watch it a couple more times before I could remember that that's all one piece yeah the, the last third of 13 assassins i think is amazing okay um the the first two thirds has some stuff in it that is very hard for me to watch uh yakuza apocalypse is a super fun one the the ones that i haven't super resonated with are, are the first two thirds of 13 assassins uh, uh, yeah 13 assassins itchy the killers is tough for me honestly this next one we're going to talk about i don't know that i'll ever watch it again <laughs> i think that's fair yeah <laughs> Anyway, that's, those are the ones that stuck with me, I think. Cool, yeah. Bennett, what about you? Uh, I have kind of, you know, a, a different relationship with Mikkei's work. I had seen a few uh, before kind of planning on doing them for this this series. Uh, you know, I'd seen Audition. I'd seen the episode of Masters of Horror. Again, he, we talked about this a little in the Kyoshi Kurosawa episode, too. For a time, kind of post-Ring, particularly post, like, the remake of The Ring, um, there was this kind of glut of like extreme Asian mm-hmm. horror. And he was definitely, um, you know, the sort of guy who was talked about in Hush Tones. I think that that episode of uh, Masters of Horror in particular, that was like hard to find for a while. Now you can find it on Tubi. I know for me, that was like a kind of a holy grail for a while. Like, wow, if it's if it's more fucked up than incident on a <laughs> mountain road, it's got to be crazy. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, having watched now like 10 of his films over the last couple of weeks, focusing mostly on the horror, I want to say, I, you know, I'm interested to see the... Uh, to dip into the Yakuza stuff, uh, as well as some of his more historical dramas. I know he's got a remake of Harakiri, um, mm-hmm. which is maybe like as like prestige as he's as he's gone. I will say I I would echo uh, that happiness of the categories really kind of blew me away. It's one I had kind of resisted from the the way it's presented. I was like, oh, is this going to be like? Because I don't know. I, I can I can run hot and cold on like aggressive wackiness, and mm. that really is continually surprising it could be an insufferable movie yeah but it manages over like and he he really is a guy who lives in the runtime that i usually consider the dead zone like, <laughs> it's both true movie, both it's movies true. we're talking about are like right around two hours most of the movies i watched i found were like around the hour to 40 hour 40 210 runtime they're all a little longer than they ought to be yeah and he still manages to come up with like kind of surprises throughout and i don't know maybe i don't i don't find them as uh as thrilling as he might uh (laughs) but um i'll say some other ones that i i didn't really love his one missed call you know i i I first came to that story through the american remake i think his original is just okay it's kind of wild that i guess they were i guess they they figured they couldn't let that premise go yeah (laughs) One that you had recommended, Craig, which we'll talk about having some kind of interesting parallels with Lesson of the Evil, was uh, As the Gods Will. There was definitely a lot about kind of Japanese culture um, that I didn't understand about that, like the nature of most of the the games that are kind of played throughout. But I will say, you know, a movie that really goes there, and again, a movie that was continually surprising, and I liked how it was kind of organized um, kind of similarly to the Saw movies or to uh, the Escape Room movies, if you've seen those. I um I didn't really like Visitor Q. I got a Visitor Q for me was maybe number one on the all time list of like boy I really hope nobody walks in right now as I'm watching this <laughs> from like the fucking get go. Um, and then by the time we got to like lactation and stuff at the end, I was a little like all right, let's 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 move it along. 
And I, you know, I, 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 unfortunately, it's like a boring answer. I think audition really is the best. It's kind of like, you know, calling Kira Kurosawa's best, but it, uh, you know, it deserves its reputation. But this film, uh, Lesson of the Evil, you know, I, I picked initially because I thought we might be doing a three-part one, and I thought, well, let's do kind of a wackier one in the middle, and then two of these kind of movies with sort of bifurcated structures, you know, on either side. And, you know, I, I, I like this one because, or, you know, I, I find this you one to be it. kind of it. I really love this movie, and, and I stand by everything all the characters do. Worthy of conversation, <laughs> Bennett. <laughs> I, um, no, you know, I, I like this one because it's it's like a Mike extreme take on kind of like a stock type of horror movie. This, you know, kind of charming serial killer hiding in plain sight. It's, you know, your American psychos, your, your, your Dexters. Like, this is the sort of thing that if it didn't culminate in an hour of children being killed at school, you could see it being remade for, like, American yeah. audiences. Because yes. people really eat this shit up. It's this sort of, you know, charming anti-hero. I mean, not that he's an anti-hero hero, but you know what I mean? People love blurring the lines just an anti-hero <laughs> and just full-on villain uh, in their entertainment. And I guess initially he's, you know, he, he starts out sort of doing this sort of Dexter thing of, like, it's really more of a Hannibal Lecter thing, honestly, of him, like, addressing, like, faux pas by, like, killing people in, yeah. like, crazy ways. Before we get to into this, Bennett, let's back up a bit because we haven't really talked about this movie yet. We somehow made it through one section of this of a show without talking about the second movie first. Good job, everyone. <laughs> um, <laughs> Such discipline today. I know. It's crazy. Um, so, Bennett, we've kind of talked about the rough idea of where this film goes. Maybe do you want to give us a bit about you know the who's and what's are going on in this movie? Because this is another one that kind of plays as two separate filmic ideas. Diaz. I'm not going to say two movies, but like there's there's a part one and a part two for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's definitely a part one and a part two, and there's sort of a long kind of violent sequence toward the end. I'll say that the kind of hints that something is amiss are there right from the very beginning, as opposed to in audition where they're kind of uh, sewn in kind of more and more often as the as the kind of first act winds down. Um, so the film is about a guy named Hasumi, who is uh, an English teacher, really well liked by his students. He's he's relatively new in town, and he's you know it's the kind of teacher you wish you had. You know, really brings the brings the is brings he... the lessons to life, makes learning fun, and um, basically you know stuff. Uh, he he starts to kind of raise suspicion. The physics teacher at the school, who is um, shall we say like more of the more of the likely candidate to be a creep. At least that's how he's sort of positioned. Um, and he has, he's the same guy who plays the serial killer in Sion Sono's Cold Fish, which seemed like maybe a, a fun oh, bit of uh, kind of uh, uh, red herring casting. So he, you know, he, he starts to raise some suspicions and people start to investigate him. But pretty early on in the film, we know that he is uh, a, you know, a killer, a total uh, like antisocial maniac who is, uh, you know, going to stop at nothing. There's a flashback that opens the film of a kid killing his parents, or it's you know it's implied that he's about to kill his parents, and we're that is presented sort of like a non sequitur, and then we're we're kind of gradually as we as we learn more about Asumi, meant to uh, meant to infer that that was him, and basically he he kind of like intervenes in stuff that's going on in the school, uh, like bullying, cheating. Um, there's a there's a student there's a teacher having an affair with a student. Um, and he basically, in, in like I said, in kind of Dexter type fashion, is like killing people involved in these sort of uh, school uh, happenings. And um, 
we uh yeah you know we get kind of you know snippets of his school life and snippets of his uh real life and it's gradually revealed that he's you know hallucinating and living this kind of uh intense kind of fantasy life uh inspired somewhat by norse mythology which never really gelled for me again maybe that's like clear if you've read the novel or the manga (laughs) but um yeah and it's uh yeah and i um i think much like audition, there are some there are some kills that are pretty visceral and and pretty like interestingly staged. I think it's a pretty pretty compelling lead performance. You know, this is sort of a stock type of character, but I think he he plays it pretty well. And then there are some kind of eccentric choices in how um, some of that background information is meted out that I sort of enjoyed. Uh, we get a flashback to Hasumi's life in the United States when he met sort of a met a partner in crime briefly. Um, and the way that's handled, the the sort of aesthetic of that flashback really was was quite intriguing. And then, as we've alluded to, the second half of the film is basically him realizing he's trapped and deciding to uh, just kill everybody in the school. Um, and it's this sort of uh, long sequence of him just kind of going around killing people in the school. It's a uh, it's it's like a if you've seen the movie The Guest, it's kind of similar to that, but with like more people getting that's killed. Funny. Just that that's like a Halloween party at a school at the end and certainly aesthetically recalls that sequence or predicts that sequence, I guess. So between audition and this film, Mike made obviously like dozens, 80 other movies. movies. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But what I've read based on the reviews of lesson of the evil is before this Mike had really been doing a lot of TV work and many like commission films. And he was kind of a director for hire where he, you know, you need a director he'll get it done he'll do something interesting at the very least um but everyone was pretty happy that lesson of the evil was a chance for him to basically be himself as a director mm. and then you know a lot of people are praising it for being a hyper violent film again because it's what he's you know made his name on do you feel this film is a return to form for him or is it more of an attempt to recreate past successes I I didn't read it as either. This is maybe this is just me putting my own baggage onto the movie. Uh but for me this to reference something Bennett said earlier, this movie almost felt like it was doing uh Michael Haneke funny games where it uh, so, uh, let me let me rewind slightly <laughs> like the killers in funny games. Uh and uh and I I went into this movie totally unaware. You said you were maybe going to talk about it and I was like great, I'll watch that when I haven't seen it. And so I went into it knowing nothing and experientially uh, it's it starts off seeming like it's a movie about about, as you say, a charismatic serial killer. And then there were there were very clear people who were set up to take him down. Uh, and then halfway through the movie, he murders them. And then you're like, oh, well, maybe there are some other people who who were sort of primed as like the backup people. And then he almost immediately murders them, too. Uh, and then and then. If you're me, you're like, I don't understand what this movie is that I'm watching, which it's been done very sedately. Right. But there's like visual flair. There's like that scene when he murders the physics teacher. We're like on that train and we're seeing through the doorway into the other train that there's a lot of really beautiful stuff happening. Sort of me gay flair. Uh, But then it's not until that flashback that you mentioned to Harvard where we're like in a building in Japan and then suddenly outside the window is a video of of the American flag while he's talking to some guy in English we've never heard before and then we're just on Harvard campus wearing Harvard sweatshirts or whatever. Um, 
carrying buckets and buckets of blood, right? And suddenly there's like there's a there's a, this weird visual escalation, and then from there the movie just keeps escalating and escalating and escalating uh, until it becomes clear near the end that that it's just a guy murdering every member of a high school class with a shotgun, right? Uh, at which point I. I was like, I don't want to be watching this anymore. <laughs> um, but it was super unclear to me what kind of what kind of movie it was. But it but it definitely felt like it starts it, it's it's ends up being sort of a slasher movie, right? Where it's instead of like a, a Michael Myers monster, it's like a uh, it's like a Michael Myers's mom, just somebody who wants to murder a bunch of people. But he is just sort of an unkillable machine going around murdering these kids. But but it's it's shot in a way. Where it's it's in this like handcrafted Halloween fun fair, and there are again like geysers of blood shooting out of things, and it feels cartoonish and joyous, the visual language of it all, but it's so appalling experientially that it really feels like it's trying to be like you like this because you are bad. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't disagree there, and it's definitely the <laughs> it's definitely the least interesting part of the movie for me, not just because of how just on its face unpleasant it is to see a guy killing a bunch of kids because uh, I you know I, I mentioned this up top in talking about how I, I'd say I like this film more than some other unstoppable killer like sure. entertainments like I, li- I like this more than like Netflix's like house of cards another another example I would hold <laughs> up as like uh, our, our villainous protagonist like has no obstacles sure. uh, entertainment because watching him sort of slowly dispatch the the sort of investigators his uh, you know the physics uh, the physics professor the couple of students who are onto him you know watching him dispatch them over the first like hour 10 minutes is yeah. again even if you know there's no real threat it's 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 pretty entertaining and i think in particular that kill where he's got that sort of like hot iron um, oh. he's got the kid's face like duct taped um, incredibly upsetting stuff and again really like well staged uh, and in these yeah. sequences too in comparison to the end of the film he doesn't show you all that particularly much it's pretty uh you know it's besides the sedate, flashback yeah. and the buckets of blood um it's you know it's pretty sedate it's pretty suggestive um yeah i, I had heard craig you know in listening to kind of podcasts about uh Mike and about this film in particular people refer to this as sort of a return to form and yeah i know i'm i'm more inclined to think of it as him being maybe like reflecting on his reputation or something like that and then yeah jim doing maybe a little bit of uh well is this what you want yeah um seems like people ate it up though made like 30 million dollars at the japanese box office which i don't know if that's like a ton of money for a film to be making but like i don't know like here besides Millions. china whenever you hear about the money movies made elsewhere it sounds like a ton it yeah. does not sound like a lot of money compared to the compared to the you know u.s box office so i don't know that's that to me sounds like it could have been a hit i i would say though it it would probably appeal unmorally like without sort of that self-reflection to people who love him for things like Ichi the killer right because it is yeah it Uh is that same sort of glorification of what is fundamentally upsetting violence rather than which i know that's a really ridiculous line for me to be drawing that like sometimes it's fun to watch a bunch of people be murdered and sometimes it's really upsetting to watch a bunch of people be murdered but this one for whatever reason uh, it may just be his proximity to them, right? Because we we mentioned the, as this feels connected to as the gods will, where where presumably every what twelfth grader in the entire world, except for maybe a, a few hundred, is is obliterated, is much easier to watch. <laughs> much easier to watch because it's happening, yeah, by by supernatural means, and yeah. yeah, having this like beloved teacher do it is yeah uniquely upsetting. Um, they all know him, they see him, and they're like, oh, it's you, and then he just shoots them. It's also, he's just shooting them in the chest with a shotgun, just over and over again. 
Hasumi is an interesting character because even when he's helping like a student navigate what to do about a sexual assault and blackmail case, he yeah. still has that dark aura about him. Sure. And I I never quite trusted him, you know? I just never yeah. felt like he's like a he clearly holds morals in high regards, but he doesn't quite exude those himself, I'll say. Um, sure. But I'm curious, how do you, I guess, do you find him to be a sympathetic character at any point in the film? No. <laughs> no, no, not in the slightest. <laughs> okay. And it's maybe, maybe I've seen too many movies that, like, the second there's someone who's this, like, slick, I'm like, well, they're, they're, they're a fucking murderer, yeah. obviously. They, yeah, they've got something to hide. And he's always too, and again, I don't know, maybe it's, like, a cultural difference. He's always very, even before he's sleeping with one of the students, he's very, like, handsy. He's always, like, tossing their hair. Yeah. And obviously, I think the teachers make much of the fact that he suggests, like, jamming the cell phones. I think the teachers are very affronted by the notion of, like, breaking the law to, to yeah. investigate the students. Even though he says, like, well, it's bad policy to let them know we destroy trust them which i thought was interesting i don't know i don't know maybe it was different when you were in school jim you're, you're older than, than i am a little bit but like I, th- I think probably even the more case i think distrusting the students was very much the policy sure. it was very yeah, much yeah. the <laughs> that's like the authoritarian stance yeah <laughs> um no i never felt him i never found him like remotely sympathetic and i felt like he was like honestly like as much as, I, I felt like he was playing like a charming guy in a way that like no obviously he would turn out to be a serial killer yeah, yeah. Uh, i thought it was interesting how the the physics teacher articulates how there's something off about him by saying, like, he's, like, a charming, handsome guy who's, like, never made me feel bad or yeah, something, yeah, which I yeah. thought was, like, an interesting way of saying, like, there's just something off here. He's not really like this sort of guy. Yeah, because the kid's like, what, how did, what made you suspect something? And he was like, well, I'm a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> and when people are, are too good, I feel like I get mad at them. And I wasn't mad at him. <laughs> he is an interesting character. <laughs> yeah, I like that guy. I was sad he himself on a, on a subway car so that's another thing i mean hasumi he he's a he's a gifted killer we'll say but he always makes everything look like it's a suicide yeah he's just followed by a rash of suicides everywhere he goes yeah and like that is why uh the physics teacher gets killed because he's telling the cops like listen this guy came from a school where there were four suicides connect, hint, hint. connect the dots <laughs> connect the dots and they're just like nah man this guy's handsome <laughs> yeah <laughs> Throughout the first half, though, there isn't too much violence. The first kill doesn't take place for, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 minutes. It's more focused on the school scandals before it really turns the page. But once that descent into violence begins, there are no breaks. It's like we, the viewer, are the ones slipping on a banana peel. I wonder if it's best to get to the second half by first talking about... You mentioned he has this weird flashback to the U.S. where we find mm. out some of his backstory. And I, I think it's interesting that we have Audition as the pairing for this because it, to me, feels like Mike's trying to maybe not emulate the structure of Audition, but he's definitely kind of doing a similar thing where it's like, here's this like narrative dump in the middle where it's like, yeah, he was this murderer and he had his partner named Clay who was just kind of like, I like killing. <laughs> you know? um, the worst actor. That's I've a ever good seen. Clay. That was I a pretty good Clay. I would love to be one of these white guys in, a, in, a, in an Asian movie. Good lord. Um, but what what stands out to you about that little interjection? Because I don't even know if it's like a scene. It's just kind of like here's a few minutes of background that is kind of random, but a lot happens. <laughs> I feel like it's just there to clarify that he's not killing for fun, right? Yeah, is that is that supposed to make him more sympathetic than Clay, I guess? Yeah, that, that's an interesting question. What is what is the point of drawing that distinction there? We're just giving the shape, right? Where they're, they're like, he's killing because he thinks what he's doing is good. 
right? He like has some sort of moral imperative that he understands and believes in that probably relates to Odin somehow that he's trying to enact. That's what I got from it because he's mad at Clay for liking to kill people, right? He like... (laughs) That's why he ends up like killing him. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's 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 clear that he like is okay engaging in the activities he engages in, in in the name of something greater because he also sleeps with that student in the name of getting access to like student message boards. Message boards. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise he finds it appalling when teachers sleep with students, and presumably he doesn't like it when people murder other people. I guess yeah. It was a it was a yeah a, a kind of a way to to emphasize that there is something deeper to the the killing here. It also. And this was maybe like a necessity for like maybe, I, I don't know how familiar Japanese audiences would have been with the song we hear playing throughout. We hear the German oh, yeah. version of it from Three Penny Opera, but it's we hear it's like a song that would, would inspire Mac the Knife. Yeah, we hear a bunch of versions, and in the flashback, Clay says like, "Ah, yeah, that's the this is the American version of that German song you like, or something like that." Which they already translated it for us once, right? I, one of my notes was I was so glad they were translating the lyrics because I don't remember what Mac the Knife is about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've seen the, the German lyrics. Uh, they like appear on screen. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and they're grimmer than the lyrics yeah. in Mac the Knife. They're like more straightforward. Yeah, they're just like he kills someone and gets away with it, and then he kills someone else and he gets away with that too. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, I mean the, the choice of song, the sort of like lyrical, like the, the irony in the lyrics is obviously you know reminiscent of uh, of the, the the killing we see from Asumi, and then also just the the fact that this kind of like up tempo, like jazzy song is about like a skulking like murderer is I think also like in keeping with uh, the presentation of the film, this yeah. fairly like upbeat zippy presentation of, you know, a lot of horrific violence, particularly the last hour yeah. in which the song plays, I think yeah, <laughs> yeah. multiple versions of it. Yeah. And, you know, we can talk about that <laughs> really not working for me. The, the <laughs> uh, I guess not ironic, I guess very straight faced use yeah. of that song <laughs> yeah. uh, over the murder of a bunch of kids. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's actually like, snapping along to it yeah at one point, he's right? like sings it a couple of times he, okay. or whistles it or something he he generates the song from his body i think by that yeah. point we're meant to understand that he's probably like hearing it in his head sure. yeah if, by the time he's like talking to the gun and stuff yeah that cronenberg shotgun i just i wish that had been like seeded more throughout the movie i wish there'd been more of that stuff i wish there'd been more stuff reminiscent of the flashback aesthetically uh, well, I'll tell you, going into it, not knowing anything about it, it really worked because it because it is for 45 minutes. It feels like a really straightforward kind of like humanistic crime drama. And then things start getting weird. And then eventually a shotgun has a fleshy eyeball on it. And you're like, yeah, OK, the path to this makes sense, I guess. For me, at least for me, at least I'm a pretty generous viewer, though. <laughs> yeah, no, that is bizarre because he's like keeping score basically he's like you know marking off the names while he's doing well he has to make sure he gets everybody right but then his gun starts talking to him and it's like his partner's eyeball i i i I was confused it's like this is kind of interesting (laughs) it is weird it's a very weird choice yeah it is is this one based on anything because i know a lot of his movies are based on books or mangas or whatever it was a novel and then a manga i think yeah Yeah, okay yeah it's a multi-part series i wonder if that's a thing that makes that has more context in the i do wonder if all of the flashback stuff is just maybe more kind of artfully like fan service yeah (laughs) it's like well i gotta put clay in the movie all the big fans of the manga are gonna be mad if there's no clay in the movie (laughs) so bennett you talked about the dead zone this is a movie that is two hours and ten minutes. Oh, for a second I thought you meant the movie The Dead Zone and I got excited. <laughs> no, no, sorry, Jim. 
it's a long movie and it's a very long very brutal massacre of children in a school Bennett's favorite film <laughs> the one he hand selected for us um, I, do you think Mike makes this runtime work like is it justified for how long it is uh it becomes pretty numbing by the end i would say okay. which i don't know is maybe maybe his intention i'd have maybe cut down the in my expert opinion i'd have cut down that final sequence by you know maybe a third uh because i do think i do think the slow burn works i think the kind of slow introduction of all the kind of drama within the school works and you know it helps introduce a lot of characters a lot of whom are you know naturally you know, we think they're going to be more important than they turn out to be. They get dispatched pretty quickly. Um, like, I think that's all, like, artfully done. And for that then to lead into, I don't know, something like the climax of this film and have it not take half the length of the film might might have worked a little better for me. Um, so I'll say, yeah, not quite. I mean, it okay. it works better than a lot of movies at this this runtime, but... I think it's hard to gauge, right? Because because I, I don't know that I ever felt the runtime, but that whole final sequence... Even if it was one minute, I think is it felt pretty so genuinely yeah. upsetting. You know yeah. what I mean? That like that feels like I don't want to be watching it anymore, no matter how long it is. I don't feel like I had an explicit problem with the runtime, but I did have a lot of problems with getting to the end. <laughs> yeah, same. I don't know. Was, there was just something about the way the massacre occurs that I don't. I don't know how to describe it, but I. I I'm going to say I felt like nothing while it happened because it was just kind of like this is disgusting but like i was so actively appalled the whole time (laughs) it just kind of seemed like okay they're they're going for it and here they go it was just kind of like turn your brain off and it'll be over at some point you know it was just like (laughs) the the fact that it goes on for so long yeah is what made me think jim that it might be some sort of like michael haneke like is this this what you want because like by the end it just keeps going it just keeps going it's just but it also kind of gets worse but it gets worse in a way that isn't like fun time freddy krueger worse it's like now he's got eight kids in a pile at the top of a locked stairwell and he's just going to shoot them each individually. You know, it's like, there's no, there's no joy in that. It's just, just disgusting. It's just disgusting for another three minutes, you know, while he gets them all. Yeah. At the same time, though, then it is eventually intercut with that kid trying to get like his like bow and arrow. Yeah, the so Rambo there is, kid. There is sort he of. He just keeps giving you kind hope. Of, like, lightning of the mood. Yeah. Um, I would say, and and I, I I've said before. I think I said last time we were on a podcast together, Jim, that I hate like horror comedy, and yeah. I don't know what the right answer is there. I don't know if <laughs> lightning the mood more during that sequence is the right, right. answer. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if being more more jokes appropriately grave is the answer. I don't know. I think just shorter or more uh, more suggestive <laughs> would have been better. Yeah, yeah, or just like end the movie before that happens. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting you mentioned comedy because I did see a, a, see a few reviews where people were like, well, of course it's a black comedy. He's shooting up a school. But at the same time, it's like... <laughs> it's a weird reaction. I, like Elephant, yeah. you know, that classic black comedy. Right, but it's just like it was... I think a lot of people are just kind of like, yeah, well, it's Mikay. Like, let's cut him some slack. It's, you know, it's uh, he's doing this. But, like, I just don't feel like it ever dipped into black comedy territory i think it's just a little too serious to be given that escape you know i i I just don't think that's a fair reading of the film it's more just like this character is deeply and truly disturbed and disturbing and i don't think there's more to it than that like i i just don't see comedy in it but maybe i'm wrong do either of you see anything that could be construed as black comedy in there 
I there was some stuff that I thought was fun leading into the massacre. Like again, as Ben says, there's sort of the first the first what two thirds or half or whatever. And then there's Alan, right? Like the shotgun with an eyeball could be funny. And the thing they've built in the school could be funny. Is there any sort of commentary about like the United States in, in, in the, the fact that he like that he he was here, right? So when when the when the physics professor is is giving kind of the rundown on how he's like not who he says he is, yeah. it's not like he he doesn't jump into the rash of suicides at the last school that he went to. He talks about how he like went to Harvard and worked at like an yeah. investment bank, how he has this like yeah. weird background for being an English teacher. And it's like, I don't know, to me it was like, is he saying that like his like Ivy League education and like working at an investment bank is like what made him evil? Is he saying that like being around these evil people made him evil? And then it's like, I don't know, maybe the maybe this escalating in like the most extreme uh, over the top depiction of like a school shooting is his way of you know re- re- showing this very American kind of violence taken to its extreme. There is some kind of a backbone there, right? Like with the idea that uh, to be an investment banker, or I think probably to succeed in sort of the high powered life that a lot of people who go to Harvard are aspiring towards, you do have to sort of moralize your horrible decisions. You know, you oh, have yeah. To- and if we pulled up the list of famous <laughs> Harvard alums, I mean, yeah, there's yeah. plenty of the world's most evil. It's like half of them are the war criminals, right? right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but also, there's that bit when he's walking around. There's the one diorama that's like a like an astronaut with like an American flag, and I think he like oh, stands yeah. it back up after knocking yeah, it yeah, down. Yeah. So I don't know. That's true. Maybe there's some. Maybe there's some. Yeah, while he's murdering kids, he knocks down an American astronaut sculpture and picks it back. That's a really good point. Andy's an English. There teacher. is something there. Yeah. Andy's an English. And he's teacher. an English teacher, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. He keeps saying good and great and exceptional and magnificent, as if that American culture of exceptionalism and yeah. you know the, that hustle grind. I think you culture, found it, Ben. I made think him you crazy. found it. <laughs> we got it. Uh, wait, can I mention? Sorry, that you mentioning the the sculpture of an astronaut reminds me that one of the other ways that this movie sort of slowly escalates is by just working in ridiculous art set pieces. There's like we see his apartment, and there's a sculpture of a man with his head stuck in a bird cage, looking really upset. And then later, I don't even remember who it is. Someone else. I think it's oh, the somebody's art dad or oh right yes the art teacher's art, apartment. Yeah. We see him take a phone call in a, like a completely empty white room, except for a, ta- a sculpture that's a table with a man bent at like ninety degrees, reaching with his like open mouth towards a bowl of food that's like four feet away from him, and it's it's so bizarre. <laughs> so I'm gonna ask a question that I think none of us are capable of really answering but uh this is just kind of a subjective thing that each person has to decide on their own but it's Mike, so i'm gonna ask it what do you feel are the limits of acceptable violence in film that is so hard i know but i gotta ask it <laughs> and this could be either personally or like what is like the cultural line we draw that's what so. yeah I, I feel like i can only answer that personally because culturally i don't believe yeah. in one right like i I, okay. I think this movie and like E.G. probably and some of his other movies have been censored in various countries right mm-hmm. and i don't think that that's ever a good answer for anything really uh, unless you know unless it's like genuine harm to a young human being or something yeah, I don't think anything that Mike has ever done, to the best of my knowledge, should be like censored by a country. I think this one was maybe it was Sweden. I'm sure said no. It, like, it's I, I gotta it's be still not available. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I could see some censor boards seeing this. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I doubt they even thought about like a release. I, I, yeah. I saw this played at the New York Asian Film Festival, but I doubt they thought about even the like smallest of, of, you know, art house runs here because no. again, like, like we said, I thought it's the most easy money premise for like a TV series or a movie up and until, then, yeah, of course, <laughs> up until, uh, 
for for about half this movie, I was like, I wonder why there isn't an American remake of this. And then I was like, oh, I see. Yeah, I just turned on. Oh, the I see. <laughs> Similarly, audition. I don't know why there was never an American remake, unless there was, and I just don't that know about weird. it. Thank but God, it there seems like isn't though. You know how bad that <laughs> sure. would be. Yeah, of course. Oh my god! Uh, it would be it would it would be Sarah <laughs> Michelle Gellar uh, <laughs> punching yeah. holes in ramen with the acupuncture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, no, this is definitely th- this this movie goes past my personal, which I don't even know that it's. I was trying to think while it was happening. I was like, what would make this acceptable for me? Right? Like, if this were a Freddy Krueger instead of their teacher, I think I'd be able to handle it. If he were killing them in a way that was like interesting or uh or was like doing something that was either uh, maybe like flamboyant in some way then maybe i'd be able to try like shooting lightning at them maybe i'd be able to truck with it better there there are so many ways that you could take this and adjust it a little bit and i think it would be easier for me to watch but just an adult man murdering people murdering high schoolers in their high school is really with a with a gun is really hard to deal with uh emotionally (laughs) yeah yeah i mean this this sort of probably crossed a, what I would have considered a personal line for me. And I, huh. I, I guess I, I wonder, you know, if they had gone more fantastical with it, would that have made it better? And I think it, I guess it would have at least made it more palatable. It would have, I would have like rolled huh. my eyes at like the glibness of having it be like totally yeah, like a fantasy yes. sequence as he's doing this. At the same time, I wouldn't have to see like 30 kids mowed down. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. I probably would have, I probably would have landed. <laughs> I'd, I'd be more likely to recommend the film if it had gone in some glib, you know, fantasy direction with it. For me, it usually comes down to like, and I, I you know, I, it's, it's something that I, I know I shouldn't do. It comes down to like reviewing the filmmaker sometimes and like the, whether I can sense that they're getting like evident pleasure out of what is being depicted because like there's, there's a whole history, particularly on like HBO of really, especially like lascivious and like male gazy depictions of like sexual assault and that sort of thing for me is like, I don't know if I know that's part of it going in, if I have reason to suspect that it's usually pretty easy to be like, yeah, not for me. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, I don't know, anything, this this sort of directly depicted sort of violence against kids, particularly in the school setting, is, uh, yeah, I don't know, uh, one that's pretty tough to, pretty tough to stomach, and I don't imagine it ever getting to be, getting to be easier. And then for me, as far as, like, gore and stuff that I find I have to turn my eyes away from, I, anybody getting stabbed, I find, for me, uh, in, like, the stomach is usually, mm, like, I have that's to tough. close my eyes, even down to, like, like, a needle, like, Craig, you mentioned the, the fear of needles, I don't mind someone like injecting so much. I don't mm. mind someone getting like a classic like blood drawn out of like an arm vein. Stop. But, like something Stop. as simple as like like someone with diabetes having to do like a shot in like the side of their like stomach. That for me, like seeing it going something about it going in there. It's like well, that's not you know. What if somebody has to like reach or jump into a pit full of syringes? Ah, <laughs> now that's that's movie magic. <laughs> so I've I've got a quick follow up question to this. So. Mike is someone who, obviously, we have pounded this idea in. He's known for extreme violence. When you are known for extreme violence, you kind of mm. have to keep upping the bar. I mean, is this just like a natural point where it's just inevitable he's going to end up, or do you think this one's kind of like uh, maybe it's time to you know roll back from eleven back to ten? You know, I wouldn't mind a roll back. I wonder. <laughs> I do wonder if. This feels if this is easier to watch in a country where people aren't routinely this doesn't not, happen all the not time. to drag yeah, this into yeah. like r- real tragic I, events. I, I found myself thinking of that no, too. But, yeah. It's a fair point. But <laughs> it may be that in America, this is a more difficult movie to contend with than it is in Japan or most other countries. 
you know? Where this is, like, kind of, like, out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, exactly, extent, exactly. Or at least, you know. Where it feels it's like an sort of impossible. sort of thing that would only happen in a movie. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So maybe for him it doesn't feel as upsetting as it does for us for cultural reasons. Right. But, yeah, yeah, from from my perspective, it, it's it's hard not to see it as, like, yeah, an upping of the stakes and, like, uh, oh, you didn't think I would go there, did you? No. And then I, <laughs> but, I, yeah, I, I don't know. As far as the rolling it back, I like that, I like that uh, as the gods will... I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to take it at like face value. Yeah, all these kids' heads are exploding. This is pretty grim, but yeah. like, I don't know. It's like a slightly more more lighthearted, it's goofy, <laughs> similar material. I should I should have just gone with that one. <laughs> I wait, Craig. Just just to support your theory that maybe as the gods will as a theory as a sequel to this movie, um, there is. I don't know if you guys caught it. The first thing that kills people in as the gods will is what is his name? It's like Daruma, Daruma, that like Daruma doll. There's yeah. a scene. Did you catch it in this movie where they're running up the stairs and there's a Daruma doll sitting on on the like turnaround railing oh, and we get a super close up shot like camera stays on it for a second after they run past I did not but that's nah. interesting no cuz like I mean <laughs> I think we talked about this before we hit record but um I mean the last mm. shots of this movie are you know they get him in custody and he says I don't even remember what he says I kind of zoned out at this point but he's like oh he you know he says some Odin was, stuff yeah he's like this was you know from the gods and then one of the girls is one of the survivors is like He's starting the next game, and then yeah. it ends with "to be continued." Yeah. And so I'm. I yeah. tried to find if there is an actual like sequel to this because I know the the manga series has like seven or eight parts that I could find. Um, mm. But I kind of wonder if, as the gods' will is intended as the sequel, just kind of like unofficially, like yeah, it, it connect the dots. Like, of course, sequel. yeah. yeah. But yeah, he's arrested. He's held in captivity for a while. He develops god powers as he claims, <laughs> and then he escapes into the world with longer hair, played by a different actor, uh, and wanders the streets using his Odin powers to have te- uh, d- teenagers play games for children. Yeah, and, and die. Originally, our idea for this episode was we were each going to pick a movie because he has 115 movies, so <laughs> we thought many. we should probably look at more. But As the God's Will was going to be my pick because I think that's a movie that handles school violence in, <laughs> in a more approachable way because it just, you, know, you don't have time to acclimate to it. You're just thrown into the middle of it and you just hear, ah, poof. And uh, it's like, wait, what? The beginning what is of it that? is so elegant. It's I great. thought I missed something. I was like, is exactly. there like a real missing? <laughs> yeah, because I think the first line of the movie is the kid saying like, boy, I wish my life wasn't so boring yeah, I wish or my something. my life was so boring, yeah. And then, and then heads are exploding. And then it jumps back to give you a little bit of backstory. And I was like, I'm mad it's giving me backstory. But it only yeah. does for like eight seconds. And then it moves on. And I was like, I think it literally so just shows mad. you him like moping around his house. Yeah. It shows the teacher's head exploding. Oh, <laughs> it's okay, like, here's yeah. how that scene started. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it is this like, okay, this killer doll from space is turning heads into marbles. Into marbles, just explosions of red marbles. Yeah, and they're just all kind of like, oh, this is so screwed good. up. Like, <laughs> oh no, what do we do? And, but, the, you know, they figure out like, okay, we have to play the game. And then this whole movie is just a series of like killer games that are goofy. <laughs> like With the, no explanation ever. Yeah, and the next one is like, there's a giant cat and we have to dress up as mice or so yeah. it can't see us or something. And it's just, it's just so bizarre that like that one very much is like firmly in black comedy territory. It's like yeah. k- kind of indisputable. If you ask me like this one is meant yes. to have some funny parts in it, despite the morbid content. Yeah. 
I like As the Gods Will a lot for that because it's kind of him taking the extremities and the extremeness and rolling it back a bit to a more like, how should we get away with this? You know? Well, you're also in, in Lesson of the Evil, the character you're following is a, a, a an amoral murderer. Yeah. Uh, whereas in uh, As the Gods Will, you're following these kids who are trying to figure out what's happening and how they can, not even really how what's happening, just how they can get out of it, right? Which is, so there's immediately, you're like, with people you can commune with on some level, which is a relief. Right. There's more of a, you know, protagonist. It's not yeah. just like, this is the main character. We don't yeah. need to like him. <laughs> But yeah, As the Gods Will, it's a fun movie, and I don't feel like I'm being like a creep saying like, yeah, millions of kids are killed, but like, yeah, it's worth a watch because it is, it has such an overt sense of humor that it's like, okay, you can you can get on its wavelength. If you don't like it, just turn it off. But yeah. it's possible. It's, <laughs> it's like upsetting. It's conceptually upsetting, but it's that movie feels like. Uh, I mean, it's like fun in the same way that like a spy kids is fun or like probably a hunger games if you love that or like the maze runner if you've ever watched that if it's any good it feels like it's on that kind of it's like a lot of cgi but it's like it's doing what it needs to do and everything's kind of kooky and it's just like things just keep happening and there's no explanation at all and stuff is like you know they're like oh the the gym floor opened up and there's a huge cat deal with it yeah these are two very different movies. They have some similarities and some differences. Um, I think we've all basically already decided Audition is the superior film. Um, if I was going to recommend one, it would be Audition. I think that's a safe <laughs> yeah. bet. I'd, I'd recommend it's, As the Gods Will, too. one of the rare too. times you can say that. Good Lord. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty confidently. I mean, I'm glad that I watched Lesson of the Evil. It's certainly... There is some stuff in it that I'm going to take take away with me. Uh, I will never, ever watch it again. Same. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to delete it off my computer pretty swiftly. <laughs> After now having watched it twice. Jesus Christ. Oh, you watched it twice? I'm sorry. <laughs> You're a bold man. So I think we've covered a lot of ground on both of these. Um, any closing thoughts on either of these or how they compare and contrast with each other? So You know, you'll find Audition on lists of the most fucked up movies ever made. And um, I don't know that the reputation is quite deserved because you yeah. see stuff like Lesson of the Evil and you say, wow, now that that really is one of the more uh, one of the more upsetting films I've ever seen. Folks, I don't know that I would recommend it. I would say uh, check out some of his more fun movies. Check out uh, Happiness of the Categories. Yeah. Check out uh, yeah. As the Gods Will. Check out Audition. Um, yeah. I can't recommend Visitor Q necessarily. I haven't seen that one. I don't know if I need to. I did, Jim, I have to say, I, I did like not that one. like I, Gozu. When I watched it 20 years ago, I watched it. But I also loved Gozu when I watched it 20 I years ago. I fell asleep twice during Gozu. That's wild. That one did not do it for me. I don't know why. <laughs> it was just, mm, I don't know. The not Dead or thing. Alive movies, all great. There's a lot of great Everything I've there. heard about those makes them sound like they're sort of shock for, for shock's sake as well. There's apparently like a, like a tub Maybe of they diarrhea are. at one point. In one I, of again, I haven't watched them in like 20 years. But when I was a 20-year-old, they were all great movies. <laughs> Well, I think Mike is certainly uh, an acquired taste. Hey, hey. <laughs> uh, sorry. He has a lot of interesting films, though, and I think he is someone who, regardless of your taste for horror and violence, I mean, I think he is someone who you can find at least one movie you'll enjoy 
audition sure. is i mean i i think audition is a masterwork that's a solid choice yeah yeah that's just a movie that does things i've never seen anyone else do and it does them in just completely unbelievable in like how did they make that happen type ways and i don't know you really cannot go wrong with that movie it's so good that in an era when they were remaking every horror movie that came out of asia they didn't remake it right i mean how could you touch that that means something yeah yeah it's a great one but i think that probably wraps it up for today we were hoping to do some more japanese horror directors for this series but October's a busy month and we don't have more time or brain capacity for it so we haven't quite decided what we're going to do next year for the October Horror Series on on Split Picks but we've tossed around some ideas I think it's uh it's gonna be fun regardless of what we do but Bennett and Jim I want to say I thought we were just doing Eli Roth just five episodes (laughs) on Eli Roth okay well we were gonna do two Saw episodes or two (laughs) Saw movies per episode it was gonna be a five-part series and And then we're oh my god Saw power rankings you have to do you have to do two and then and then you know bring them down and then another three episodes with two each and another two episodes there we go there we go crown the king of Saws it's Bennett Hey, it's me. Ben, no, it's, uh, ben, it's Saw Six or Saw Ten. Those are the clear standouts. For this God. But Bennett, Jim, I do want to say thank you for joining. For Jim, you did too. Bennett, you joined me for all three episodes. These were so much fun. I really enjoyed looking at Japan because there's a lot of things that you just don't see in America coming out of for from, from Japanese horror movies. And I mean, we didn't even touch movies before the 90s and that is a big <laughs> flaw of this series i mean we could have only done movies from the 50s you know like i mean sure. we really could have but we'll, we'll we'll find ways to get more japanese horror on split picks at some point it may be 35 years but hey you know what this has been a ton of fun though i mean thank you for joining and again we covered the grudge movies we covered kyoshi kurosawa and takashi Mike. All of them are films worth seeing at the very least. And, you know, there is so much in Japanese horror we didn't touch. So look around. You're going to find a lot of crazy stuff. And, I mean, we all mentioned a ton of movies that are worth seeing. And I love and you guys clearly love, too. So I think we're going to call it a day there, though. Thank you so much. This October Horror Series has been great this year. And the response has been awesome. So thank you for listening. Thank you for reading. Thank you for just knowing that Split Tooth is around and doing weird stuff. So we appreciate it. And thank you both for joining. We'll call it there for today. So. And there's thank the door you, closing in another season of uh, Halloween Splits. Until next time. Sukunk. <laughs>actually one time when i was younger in my 20s i shaved male pattern baldness into my head because i always kind of because i i think it's kind of handsome but i also thought it was funny it was it was like extra fun it was super funny for me because i knew that it was fake but everyone who saw me on the street just thought i had male pattern baldness so it was like for a month everywhere i went i was just like constantly jazzed a little bit it was it was good you should try it